This is the Banker's Corner, a McGuire Woods series exploring investment trends, solutions, and business issues relevant in today's private equity and finance industry. Tune in with McGuire Woods partner Jeff Cockrell as he and specialists share real-world insight to help enhance your knowledge. This is Jeff Cockrell from McGuire Woods. Uh, thank you for joining another installment of our Corner Series. Uh, the Corner Series is a multifaceted podcast series featuring conversations with dealmakers in the healthcare private equity community. Uh, the Corner Series is broken up into four sections. There's a banker series featuring conversations with uh, healthcare private equity investment bankers. There's a professor series where we focus on technical aspects of dealmaking. There's a capital corner where we feature uh, interesting conversations with private equity professionals and a company corner where we feature conversations with executives. On this installment of the uh, Bankers Corner, I'm still to be joined by my good friend, Barry Freeman, Managing Director at Lincoln International, uh, one of the best investment bankers in the healthcare space that I know. Barry and I are going to be talking about uh, a more narrow subject of investing in home health, hospice, and palliative care, and kind of similar subsectors that, that are connected. Um, Barry, maybe give yourself an introduction, and we can uh, jump right into some of the topics. Great. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate having the opportunity to participate with you here today. I'm a managing director and co-head of the healthcare group at Lincoln International. I've been doing uh, healthcare investment banking and private equity work for about 28 years. Over the course of that career, I've, I've been uh, pretty heavily involved and steeped in the, the home healthcare area, broadly speaking, between myself and my partner, uh, Michael Weber, uh, who is part of the team, and, and Nick Constantino. You know, the three of us have done over 90 transactions in the home and community-based care sector spanning skilled, unskilled, hospice, pediatric, uh, home medical supplies, home respiratory, uh, and, and even uh, getting into some of the home care IT and, and technologies around the home healthcare space. So it's a really significant power alley for us and one that we're extremely active in and uh, appreciate having the opportunity to share some perspectives. You recently were at the Home Care 100, which is one of the leading kind of industry events in uh, home care and related sectors. Yep. What were some key takeaways from that event? Well, it was a really interesting conference, um, and I think maybe right off the bat, the most impressive thing was that it was probably the largest turnout um, in terms of attendees registered in the history of the event. This was the 20th year that the Home Care 100 has been going on, and you know there were probably about 400 people registered, which is easily 2x over sort of the normal turnout. And I think that's a reflection of just all the increased attention the sector is getting from investors, uh, as well as uh, with some of the regulatory evolutions that have been going on. So big, big turnout uh, is probably the most notable issue. But, you know, really the number one item that was discussed in all of the content and, and the conversations going on around the, the conference was about sort of the workforce and, and availability of workforce. There's, as people know, there's a tremendous nurse and sort of caregiver shortage going on in the marketplace right now, coupled with a lot of wage inflation. And so issues surrounding recruitment and retention strategies and, you know, being able to grow your business in the face of these very significant challenges is, is really, that was probably the A number one issue that, that people were focused on uh, at the conference. And, that's, you know, uh, that's super interesting, Barry. Is there a sense that that's going to be a, a long-lived dynamic or 
is that a blip or uh, is that going to put a lot of pressure on obviously wages? Is it going to kind of upend the business or, or is it going to be more navigable? It's making things very challenging right now in, in the in the short term for home health and hospice agencies to be able to staff shifts and continue to to grow their their visit volumes. I believe most observers believe that this is maybe a structural item that's going to persist for some time. So it's not necessarily something that's going to immediately start abating the moment that COVID cases start, you know, trending down the way that they are right now. I, I think this is more of a a structural issue that uh, will will face the industry. And, and I think that right now we're at the very early innings of governments, uh, you know, recognizing the impact that this is having on the ability to kind of meet the demand and care for patients. And so we're going to see some incremental supports coming in from state and federal sources to help agencies, I think, deal with the wage inflation. But but right now, there's a lot of margin compression that's taking place, as well as just inability to to staff cases. So it's 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 something that I think will be with us for a while. So with those headwinds, at least from where I sit, and I think from where you sit as well, there's still a lot of interest in these different sectors. What what do you think are the drivers of that increased investor interest? Well, I think that coming out of COVID or coming through the COVID era the demand for care in one's home has really never been stronger. The stories of institutional-based settings and how COVID you know, caused a lot of, of death and disruption in those kind of uh, venues is really driving the recognition of people to try to move as much care as possible into the home, whether that's a payer, whether that's a provider, whether that's the patient or their family. You know, People just want to be in the home, and um, it seems like there's pretty unanimous consent around all the different stakeholders that, that that's the best care, both in terms of cost, in terms of comfort, in terms of safety. So so everybody right now really seems to think that care at home is the future. And so we're seeing unprecedented levels unprecedented levels of demand across, you know, skilled and unskilled uh, care services and and trying to find more ways to to surround people in their home with kind of home-based primary care, home-based uh, you know, telehealth, and, and other kind of models that are emerging. Those kind of tailwinds on the industry have been present uh, for probably 15 years uh, with the, uh, all the things you mentioned, plus the desire uh, kind of structurally in healthcare to move care to a lower cost setting. However, the, the home care industry has been plagued by some headwinds as well, whether that's kind of reimbursement uncertainty. It's been an area where at the smaller end, there's been lots of fraudy things. The vertical integration and hospital systems have pulled some of those uh, sectors back into themselves. And other factors have made it a challenging investment area. Why do you think it's going to be different now? What uh, uh, are there other factors that are making it more attractive to investors now? Well, there's been a tremendous amount of increased investment in technology and monitoring and analytics. I think that for a long time, the home healthcare industry, as a general statement, you know, had a very well ingrained fee for service mindset. And you know, one of the other big themes at the Home Care 100 conference was this emergence of an interest in 
value-based care and, and capitated models as the home health care arena uh, you know, really morphs from this fee-for-service legacy into a fully integrated component of medical care, tightly aligned with acute care, uh, as well as you know, closely aligned with payers who are monitoring uh, overall health and status and you know, have, have a variety of technologies to, to monitor their, their members. So the regulatory changes, I think, will, will continue to evolve. Uh, I know that there was a lot of concern at the beginning of 2021 that, that the PDGM was going to be this sort of massive shakeout in the industry, and, and it really never materialized, um, despite all the sort of speculation at the outset that it was going to cause a lot of dislocation and disruption to the industry. It actually ended up being, I think, a lot of people benefited from, from that regulatory evolution. And then with all the different sort of technology plays and, and investment that's been going into technology, whether you're talking about, you know, systems like uh, the home care home base technology, which which just bought uh, the cell track business, which is more on the personal care side of home health. So kind of linking skilled with the unskilled. There are a lot of analytics-based technologies. You know, Vistria just made an investment last year uh, in Metalogics and Muse. So there, there are a variety of technologies and, and other tools that providers now have access to that really enable them to, you know, better manage populations, better predict risk, and and manage that. So the industry is really kind of moving into a new generation that is much more technology enabled and, and, and less sort of focused on just reacting with with more visits. The kind of home health kind of sector is comprised of a number of different segments. Uh, you mentioned skilled and unskilled. Uh, hospice is different than home care, obviously. Palliative care, different technology surrounding that. How would you uh, kind of segment the that industry? Are there parts of it that you think are better positioned for investment than others? But how, how would you segment the industry? Yeah, I mean, as we think about the you know post-acute and home-based services spectrum, there are the kind of senior living sectors like uh, skilled nursing facilities, assisted living facilities, things of that nature that are more facility-based, uh, high fixed cost, residential arrangements. And, you know, this end of the spectrum um, has not done as well in the COVID environment. And these facilities also have sort of inherent cost disadvantages versus home health-based, home-based care. Um, the SNF market, the skilled nursing facility market, is probably a $150 billion uh, market that's characterized by you know, pretty slow growth. Assisted living facilities, I think, is about an $80 billion market. Uh, again, these are kind of high to medium cost venues. When you, when you move down the spectrum into home health, you know, home health is, uh, it encompasses skilled nursing visits, uh, physical rehabilitation, other kind of, of episodic care that generally accompanies some kind of a acute episode, or there's some chronic management going on here as well. This is, this is a, a $50 billion market, but, but rapidly growing, and, you know, the place where demand is, is extremely strong. Home care, which is sort of a, a close cousin, this is, this is more of a um, unskilled service with uh, particular attention around social determinants of health. So this is a non-medical level of care, but you know, designed to allow people to age in place with comfort and with um, you know access to important services like companionship and dressing, bathing, uh, nutritional services, etc. 
this is also probably a $50 billion marketplace. Um, and this is the sector that I think is taking a lot of volume away from some of the traditional institutional settings, particularly around these exciting programs uh, of consumer-directed benefits where you know, Medicaid programs in certain states allow for the beneficiary to designate their caregiver. Now, this also gives rise to some of the things you were talking about earlier about kind of fraud, waste, and abuse. And, and I think that you know, technology is also you know, serving to try to diffuse and, and minimize some of those issues. And then finally, we get to, to end-of-life care um, and hospice um, and you know, palliative care as well in terms of managing the comfort of patients who are dealing with chronic and ultimately kind of end-of-life issues. And you know, th- these are areas where there's a tremendous amount of interest right now. We, we, we track it as about a $20 billion industry, but growing extremely quickly due to both new entrants coming in and, and really increasing just the penetration of these services relative to the addressable market, as well as just trying to introduce new service models that you know incorporate the notion of chronic condition management with pain and, and providing uh, comfort. Uh, and then ultimately, once the determination with clinicians is made that the therapeutic phase is ending and we're moving to end of life kind of care, then kind of quickly moving into into that hospice mode and, and being able to support the, the physical, emotional, and, and spiritual needs of people in, in, in that phase. So there's a lot of different sectors, but they're all experiencing pretty dramatic growth and they're all more or less shifting in the favor of home-based models across the board. From an investor value perspective, um, do, do you see greater value in a more pure play within those kind of subsectors where you, you kind of take one component of it and grow just that? Or do you see more value in the more expansive approach of combining several of these subsectors into one platform? That's a great question, Jeff. You know, this this, this is something that I, I like to call, uh, you know, a pendulum. The pendulum has been swinging. There was a point in time where the prevailing view in the industry was that people were going to just specialize in one of these sectors. However, I think the pendulum has swung back again, and more and more we're seeing operators in the sector diversifying and building out continuums of care that span across uh, skilled and unskilled and hospice and, you know, trying to effectively create an organization with sufficient, you know, service, service diversity that they can kind of move with a patient over that lifetime from when they move to, you know, lesser levels of acuity to higher levels of acuity and ultimately to end of life. And so that seems to be the, the, the prevailing uh, trend right now is for people to be aggregating uh, continuums of care to go after larger referral sources, whether those are health systems or payers or, or other big aggregators of lives and, and being able to, um, you know, offer all those services to a, to a potential base of, of members. As far as kind of growth, once, once an investor owns a platform, um, how do you see kind of the growth pathways in, in this sector? Is it more acquisition-driven? Is it organic? Is it uh, joint venturing uh, with mm-hmm. health systems or other participants? What, what are some of the, the best growth models that you've seen? Yeah, it's 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 really in all of the above. So at the Home Care 100, we had literally dozens of conversations with both uh, you know strategic operators as well as the private equity funds that have portfolio companies in in these areas, and you know there there continues to be very strong 
appetite for acquisitions. I think that still remains the sort of number one growth uh, vehicle for, for all the participants in the space. We are starting to hear a little bit, uh, for, particularly from the strategics, that uh, that acquisitions are getting you know pretty frothy. And so we did hear some of the strategics mention that they're probably going to take 2022 and focus on integrating what they've already acquired as well as uh, maybe pivoting to more organic sources of growth with de novos, with some uh, you know geographic expansion into new markets. And, and so we expect that there will continue to be sort of both organic and inorganic activity in 2022. And, and you also mentioned joint ventures, which is increasingly becoming uh, you know, a very significant piece of, of growth strategies for you know, larger scale providers that have a, uh, a strong market share position in a particular geography to be able to joint venture with, with large health systems or to joint venture with, with payers in certain instances to, uh, to be able to develop programs and, and unique relationships or, or clinical uh, approaches to care. So, so I, I think that there are a multitude of, of different avenues. I'd, I'd say as well that the technology barrier is another one that I think you know we'll expect to continue to see larger providers buying different technologies or new ways of delivering care, new models. You know, last year, Amedesis, uh, one of the large publicly traded players in the space, you know, acquired Contessa, which is a you know, hospital and home type of business, you know, leverage technology to deliver a, a higher level of acuity care in the home. You know, there are, there are other models out there like Dispatch Health and, and, and others who are seeking to, again, kind of bring more technology-based higher acuity care directly to people in their home. And I think that a lot of the traditional participants aren't necessarily going to innovate that internally, that, that that will be sort of where a lot of M&A activity goes on from a growth perspective is to capture and create novel technologies to form a basis for differentiation. For a sector that has had periods of relatively low activity, it's uh, certainly exciting to see um, it coming back with a, a lot of activity. Barry, I want to thank you for uh, spending some time with us. Uh, you, you always have a lot of keen insights and uh, always fun to chat with. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate the opportunity to, to talk with you today and enjoy participating. Thank you for joining us on this installment of the Banker's Corner. To learn more about today's discussion, please email host Jeff Cockrell at gcockrell at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This series was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this series, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this installment. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This series should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.